a most original and creative talent in our business. Would you welcome Mr. Orson Welles? Ladies and gentlemen, Orson Welles again, come to call for another visit. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. Buck Benny speaking. We are in for some Orson Welles, and we have uh, our friend John Henderson joining us today, who is over there Hello. on this day in Jack Benny. Good to see you, John. We have Terry Phillips. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we have Terry Phillips over here from Imagine uh, Dash or Hyphen Air, Hyphen Dash Theater. <laughs> dot com my students and or i can just search for imaginary theater it'll still come up <laughs> just yesterday uh my students and i were arguing over what the heck out of this thing. dash or hyphen you know it's like <laughs> we just <laughs> we were talking about something else and they're like it's hyphen no it's dash it's whatever okay <laughs> we have kathy fuller seely over here as well and it's she... a dessert topping it's a floor wax <laughs> sorry <laughs> he has some wonderful books out on Jack Benny and uh, I'm just delighted to have us all here to talk Orson. A uh, really interesting episode of Orson kind of carries over our motifs from last week with the ticking ticking ticking. A couple motifs are carried over in a good way the ticking 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 in a bad way the terrible sound quality at the very beginning which got to like <laughs> can I hear what's going on but again like last week it will be there for about two minutes and then it gets a whole lot better and you'll be fine. So don't sweat it that it doesn't sound so hot from the beginning. Uh, the episode itself uh, focuses again uh, a lot on um, the atomic bomb. I did find it interesting in that the end of last episode, he mentioned something that I quoted him on because I, I loved it. The, the I can't fix this, you can't fix this, but we can fix this together. He apparently that resonated with him. So he brought it to the beginning of this. I was almost going to have Terry and the crew check out last week's episode that Kathy and I did, but I thought, you know, that kind of covers it. That kind of, that kind of gives you the gist of last week's episode anyway, with that piece. And, and he, and he covers some of the same ground and then segues off into Noah's Ark, which I thought was uh, interesting to hear how that went. So uh, let's go over to John because John's usually not here with us. For this and uh, what did you think of this john or was there anything that stood out to you yeah uh well i thought it was interesting that he read noah's ark and obviously the connection there is that it's a story of the wiping out of humanity and with the atomic bomb being invent invented there's a chance of wiping out humanity but i i'm not sure i totally got the point that he was making like what he was trying to say about it maybe somebody else can well, more see, and, and whenever you're on here, John, I think that that it, it's excellent because it shows that he hit the right spot. When you when you are just enough to confuse John, then you're in the right ballpark. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. And pretty much, I'm always confused, so it's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, I, I I definitely enjoyed that. I definitely liked the the play on that, and of course, for now, it kind of you grab onto it and go, there's still the nuclear thing that it, that it 
it chimes and resonates to today, but it also resonates, I think, with just this week with the with all the tornadoes that have been going through and wiping out huge parts of, of Alabama and some of the various uh, states. Um, just we with our with our uh, with the climate change and with is that going to be the end of this and with sort of the piece of this is uh, I think that he played up was the fact that that God had essentially said okay I wiped the world out with a flood I'm not going to do it again but he said that that essentially you guys are are not the best at figuring things out and you'll end up doing it to yourselves is kind of the, the feeling you get. And, and it's, are we going to do it to ourselves for, via nuclear? Are we going to do it ourselves via climate change that we're not addressing? Uh, I think that's an interesting resonance that this episode has. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that got that, but um, Terry, what did, what did you think about the episode and what kind of stood out for you and anything you want to point out? The first thing that grabbed me was there were no commercials in this episode. Yes. I, I don't know why that was. I wonder if he's lost his sponsor and ABC is carrying it as, as sustaining. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, the whole thing was um, different. It, the, the beginning piece, there was like a, a, a narrator introducing person sort of thing. And it, it just felt yeah. different. Yeah. I don't know. We'll find he, out. Uh, just, just as uh, we were talking about in, in the other program, uh, he, uh, like Rod Serling, ha just ha had a wonderful talent for uh, turning a phrase. And I don't, again, I don't know whether this was out of whole cloth. If it was a reference, I didn't get the reference. But in talking about uh, uh, Noah's Ark, after talk, after reading um, the story of Noah's Ark, Wells says, "History is the catalog of wars." a catalog of the seasons of sins. Uh, just a beautiful turn of phrase. I don't know if it was his or someone else's, but I really enjoyed that. He, um, you're right, he, he returned to maybe the most common theme in all of these commentaries, which was expressing a concern about uh, atomic energy, who should control atomic energy, both for civilian and military use. And Clearly, his point of view was that it should be under civilian control rather than military control, so as not to make wars which were perhaps inevitable even worse. He refers to four political figures who should be contacted by telegram, if you want to weigh in on this. Uh, of course, the first was President Truman. Then there was his vice president, Albin Barkley. Uh, all four of these were, you know, the Democrats were uh, had control of... Um, I think both houses of Congress, as well as the White House uh, in 1946. So his vice president, Alvin Barkley, who was a Democrat from Kentucky and who had been a critic of FDR before Truman pegged him as his vice president. So, you know, there's a little bit of internal uh, struggle going on within the Democratic Party. He also suggested writing to Senator Brian McMahon, who was a Democrat from Connecticut, who ended up being the sponsor of the Atomic Energy Act how much influence Wells had over pressing McMahon in that direction. I don't know, but anyway, that was the out the, um, the outcome. And finally, he mentioned the name Lister Hill, who was a Senator from uh, Alabama and who was uh, on the, uh, let's call it the progressive side of nuclear power, but the, uh, the not so progressive side on the issue of civil rights. He was an anti-desegregationist, kind of a you know backward say of saying he was 
uh, in favor of segregation. The last thing I want to say about this entire episode is that Wells frequently returned to religious themes, not just religion, but religious texts. I mean, he, he uh, delved into the Bible both for literary reasons and for ethical um, purposes. And in 1980, people wondered, speculated about Wells' religion. And in 1982, I read that Merv Griffin uh, interviewed Wells and he asked him what his religion was and how he felt. And Wells said, quote, I try to be a Christian. I don't pray really because I don't want to bore God. <laughs> of course he would say Now, that. in a different form, Wells might have gone the other way with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was, I thought it was a rather, uh, uh, a, a rather humble right. perspective oh, from the great one. And that's what makes well, I, interviews I think with it, him so interesting is you never know what he's going to say. And, and he always has, like you say, a great turn of phrase. John, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like hearing him read that story, I think it's a darn shame that he never made an audio Bible because that would have been great. Like he's a great reader yeah. and that's, uh, that's awesome. And so I, I'm going to keep uh, that clip. I collect um, old time radio stories, and I'm putting them out in a podcast called Bible Broadcasts. So right. this will be a perfect fit for that. I think that's great. And I was hoping that, that you, maybe you'd grab onto that because I was thinking, oh, that ties into John, one of John's podcasts. So yeah, because uh, you could just play that section at some point or something and that would be fine. And and I think sure, yeah. listening to these Orsons, I'll try and clue you in because you don't always probably hear all of them that we that we end up doing. But if there's anywhere he does that again, I'll, I'll try and clue you in it's coming up. And yeah, I did hear the one where he reads a, sec a section of Corinthians, I think. So that's, yes. that was another interesting He's only done it a couple or three times so far. So, yeah. But I assume he's going to do it every few months. So, yeah. I love it. Anyway. I've got something else, but I'll let Kathy go first. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I, I, again, another fascinating episode. And it really takes you back to how vital an issue this was in the spring of 1946, where the U.S. is still the only nation in the world that has this scary atomic bomb and, and everybody's figuring it's only, um, I may have said this in, in a previous discussion of Orson's broadcast, um, uh, a pu public opinion polls in 1946 said something like 90% of Americans assumed there was gonna be World War III that was just all, all atomic bombs. So it was very much on people's minds. People were really being feeling weighed down about it. And um, I, I think Orson Welles captures that time period so well. I love the tiny bit of snarkiness at the beginning of this episode when he starts talking about people looking up in the sky because it's somebody either doing sky riding or carrying flags about selling furs and how you go from uh, uh, looking for the rainbow in the sky as God's you know, proof that he won't uh, uh, try and wipe us all out again to the idea that, oh no, it's somebody trying to sell furs in the sky. <laughs> I just, I, I loved his, um, uh, uh, after telling the story that um, he's so eloquent in um, saying, you know, sort of man's finding the final secret of fire being the bomb and that it could be fire or it could be a hearth, you know, yeah. trying to encourage people to think of peacetime uses for the atom and to keep it out of the hands of the military and, and what, what could be. So I, I like that he's presenting 
um, uh, uh, not only just fear of the destructive power of the atom, but also a bit of that hope that was also going around at the time. It says, what could we do with this amazing source of, of power? Um, uh, as I said, I, um, then when he connects that to man, heart, man harnessing the atom for peace, like God harnessed rain, you know, to, to wow. um, just, uh, it, as I said, I, I found it really uh, affecting and deep, like a really a fascinating um, sermon. So Agreed. Really Agreed. Um, I'll throw out there the, the connection to today, just again, just to underscore that, the the piece that I think hits us today is that, again, there's two problems going on that, that they're really pushing on. We can't solve it ourselves uh, by yourself. You can't, your neighbor can't solve it. You have to solve it together. Everybody working together. That's both COVID that's going on and climate change. And I just think it's interesting how it, again, we talk about how this uh, his thoughts and his his things he's presenting resonate to today, and I think that's the one of the ties to today is uh, both nuclear issues and how to deal with them is something we all need to get a handle on, according to Orson. And I think that he would say, I, I would not, I would think he would say the same thing if he was here talking about COVID or talking about climate change. Climate change. So I think that's it's just interesting. I just love how this all ties together, but uh, and. Uh, from there, John's got something because he's pointing his finger up, which means call on me, please. So I, I, I work with students well, all the time, and that's a, a, a student signal of call on me. So I'm, I'm calling on little Johnny in the front row. Yes, John. <laughs> uh, I, I saw or I remembered when I was listening to this uh, an article that C.S. Lewis wrote in 1948 about the atomic bomb. I've got a couple of uh, quotes from that that I thought were pretty interesting and interesting perspective. All right. So uh, I can't do the C.S. Lewis voice. He's got like an outrageous accent. So just <laughs> imagine that in there. But he says, it's perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and which death itself is not a chance at all, but a certainty. And then later he says, if we're all gonna be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb come when it comes, find us doing sensible human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Wow, that's great. Thank you for bringing that to us. That, that was really cool. And I'm trying, I'm gonna try and do as many of those things at the same time as I can, the bathing, the listening music, the, yeah. in <laughs> As to how many you were able to accomplish at the same time, I think that would be interesting. So. <laughs> as as opposed to my other favorite poet Tom Lair, uh, we'll all go together when we go every hot and jot and every Eskimo. When the earth becomes Uranus, we will all go simultaneous. Yes, we all will go together when we go. So for a little dark humor, but that's really lovely, John. Thank you. So and, and yours was equally lovely, I must say. <laughs> and deep, there we go. <laughs> Uh, all right. Hey, this is this is great. We've heard a, a couple of singing things in our in our episodes uh, this week uh, between this and 
and William Bendix singing all the all the wonderful wartime songs. It was it was those were interesting. Well, we'll see you folks next week. Thanks for joining us, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode of Orson Welles. So his commentaries are always interesting. And everybody have a wonderful week, guys. All right, that's all, folks. On the way to the studio, I noticed people's faces turned upwards, many faces looking upward in the same direction, the same part of the sky. I looked to look for a sign hoping for something valuable to report on this microphone, a sign in the heavens. It was a sign, all right, written in aeroplane smoke, squeezed out like confection on the blue, an advertisement paid by a gentleman who sells fur coats to the ladies. There was another sign this morning, a new one, a literal sign, repeated through the New York streets. It showed an arrow, and the text read simply, United Nations. It made nice reading. UNO convenes in the Bronx tomorrow and a new bright flush of hope. And the good word from Washington is that 59 organizations held a mass emergency meeting in our capital to protest the possibility of the military getting its hands on peacetime atom power. Uh, excuse me, that sound? The ticking noise? That's the bomb, the bomb. I'm holding in my hands, of course. You're holding it in yours, too. Yes, I said bomb. A time bomb ticking the time away. Yes, I said it last week. Sure, it's a sound effect. But just suppose I stop the sound effects, this little fraud, this mimic threat of total atom war. Suppose I turned it off and yet the sound, this ticking, went right on and on. It won't, of course. I can turn it off, I think. There. And the real thing, can I turn that off? I can't, you can't, but we can Every hour in the hour, the man who sells you toothpaste to patent hair oil uses the same patent line, so perhaps you'll forgive me for one sentence spoken more than once since it concerns our children and their chances in this world. I bring you now a sort of children's story. At least children always like it. We all learned it under the Christmas tree. You know it well. You'll read it again after this. It's a tale of adventure, of a great sea voyage. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your obedient servant, Orson Welles, reading you today a cheerful story with a happy ending. It's about how the world almost came to an end. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said... I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. Of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. 
Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. The same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. In the selfsame day entered Noah and the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lifted above the earth. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land, died. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. And God remembered Noah and every living thing that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth. And the waters assaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. Until in the tenth month on the first day of the month, with the tops of the mountains seen, and Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro, until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him, to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet other seven days and again sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. 
And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man, whoso sheddeth man's blood. By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Well, that's the end of the story. A lot has happened since then. A lot's happened in the last few thousand years. A lot's happened in the last few days. In the scattered ruins of antiquity, in the scattered pages of the Sunday paper on your living room floor, you can trace the fears and follies of the sons of Noah. In the desert are the unmarked bones of empires and the cities rot in the jungles without names. The thing we call history is the catalog of wars, a calendar of the seasons of sin. What we salvage from the ashes of war is the thing we call wisdom. Wisdom was a fire to heat a cave, a fire for a kitchen and a forge. But the fire was not always wisdom. We have tied wise men to the stake, made bonfires of our books, and fed our children to the flames. What we salvage from the ashes, the thing we call wisdom, has brought us now the final secret of fire making. With that secret, we can build a hearth, big enough, warm enough for the whole planet family. We've already made a bomb. The bomb was the first thing we did with our secret. It may be the last thing we do. 150 days the waters prevailed upon the earth when old Noah was the captain of all living things, and then God remembered Noah and made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assaged. Will God call up another wind? A wind to snuff out the fires. God has made no such promise. God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations I do set my bow in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the covenant that is between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. God will not curse the ground any more for man's sake. We have his word for it. And between the sun and the moist breath of the flood is the rainbow to remind God of his promise. A contract. The author of creation signing his name to it across the air in all the colors of the earth. We say there's treasure at the end of the rainbow, but no treasure is so precious as that word given at the rainbow's beginning. What of our word? We haven't given it. We say our prayers, some of us, some of the time, offering repentance in exchange for peace, bidding virtues for victory, bargaining. We build a house for promises, a church, and presently we blow it up in the workaday occupation of murder. God will curse the ground no more for man's sake, but man reserves the right to curse the ground for man's sake. It's our prerogative. 
has been since first we knew that we were naked, life or death. We are given a choice in the matter, and we are capable of doubting that we were given anything. This doubt is the denial of God, which is the old-fashioned phrase for the denial of life. If we deny life, we deny the choice between life and death, and we renounce life when we renounce the choice. And this brings us back to the beginning. And in the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the earth will be without form again, and void, and darkness will be upon the face of the deep in the ending. If there is an ending, if we choose it that way, the choice being ours, okay, okay. Is the sermon over yet? I hear the question coming back at me, a big weary sigh. Is Preacher Wells out of the pulpit? Sorry, before we quit, we must have the collection. That's right, we've got to pass the plate. Got any spare silver? Please buy a telegram with it, a telegram. Why are the president... Or the Senators Barclay, McMahon, or Hill. Tell them you don't like the Joker in the Vandenberg formula for the control of atomic energy, the artful dodge by which the military can get that control. Tell them only civilians can put atomic energy to civilian usefulness, that only civilians can keep a democracy open for business, a democracy being, among other things, a government in which the military is the servant of the people. Atomic energy should also be the servant of the people. If the military get control of that energy, they can get control of our government, and then the people will be the servants of the military. Why are Washington what you think about that? All right. Spend a postage stamp worth of encouragement on President Truman's morale. Senator McMahon can use a good word, and Algernon Barclay and Lister Hill need your advice. Atomic energy. That's a clumsy phrase for you, but we're stuck with it. Go, go and pour yourself a glass of water. Go get your own water, Preacher Wells, you may be saying, or if it's water you want, go jump in the lake. Well, those who went for the water will oblige me, please, by looking at it and considering the flood. That's an awful lot of water, the flood, but for me anyway... It's easier to picture a global ocean than a global Hiroshima. Take a drink of water. You can't live without the stuff, remember? And think of rain. The blessing of rain which nourishes the scanty crust of living earth. I'm writing it in my copybook that the blessing of rain is God harnessing the flood. That from here on in, the blessing of peace is man harnessing the atom. Maybe it'll rain tomorrow in Washington or in the Bronx. Maybe a rainbow will stand in the clouds over the Senate building or show through the window in the gymnasium at Hunter College. If so, it won't mean anything special to the senators, the delegates. It won't mean anything new, at least anything more recent than the Bible. A rainbow, that's just God reminding himself of a promise, reminding us children that we alone have dominion over the deluge. If we want to put an end to the world, we'll have to do it by ourselves. I don't think we will. But when things look bad, we mustn't give up. And just because things look better today, we must take it easy. Our work's cut out for us. Hammer and saw, tooth and nail sometimes. And hammer and saw some more. Green timber and old makeshift things to fit that don't fit up. Mock up and make do. It's taking shape, though. Old Noah's dead and gone, but his family still knows how to carpenter. Noah's family can make another ark. Might be that's the reason God promised not to make another flood. Well, my time's up. Please join me next week. Till then, I remain as always obediently yours. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.